Well, we have a, a little bit of a shorter sermon today, but let's go ahead and pray as we jump into God's word. Lord, uh, I'm struck just how amazing it is that you would call us uh, to be a part of what you are doing in the world, uh, that you are reconciling mankind to yourself, and you give us a role to play. That's incredible dignity. Uh, that's incredible love that you show for us, Lord. Work in our hearts uh, so that we're stirred up to, uh, to do what you would call us to do. As we turn to your word today, I just pray that you, uh, Holy Spirit, would be speaking to each person individually, that you'd be uh, pinpointing things in, in each of our own lives that you want to address and give us really ears to hear uh, what you want us to hear in your word today. Uh, we love you. Uh, we thank you for the beauty of the day. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I think for each of us, there are maybe a handful of moments in our lives that we would consider as watershed moments. Uh, those kind of moments when you make a big decision and you know you're making a big decision where your life is going to turn one way or another depending on what you decide. Uh, if you think back on your, on your own life so far, uh, maybe some of your watershed moments have been to whether you're going to go to Papua New Guinea or not, okay, for some of you in the room. Um, but for others of us, it might be whether you decided to marry or not marry someone, or with your studies or your career that you chose one path that you knew might close the door to some other paths, or even for some of you, it might involve your location. You decided to move or not move to a certain place. And we all face these important moments at some time in our life, and it's because these watershed moments are, by definition, so important that I want us to ask the question this morning, of what should we do when we face one of those decisions? What's our strategy when we hit a watershed moment that promises to make or break our life? Or just to put it another way simply, what should we do when opportunity knocks? Uh, we're going to take a, a look at a very well-known story in the Old Testament about an unlikely hero, and uh, this person had to make some tough decisions. Uh, the stakes were high, the time to make the decision was short, and the way that she handled her situation should speak volumes to us as we consider our own watershed moments in life. Uh, this unlikely hero's name is Rahab, and her story is found in the book of Joshua, chapter 2. So I'd encourage you to read along with us in your Bibles there in front of you. If you want to turn over there to Joshua, uh, chapter 2, we're going to look at that question of when we hit these watershed moments, what should we do uh, when opportunity knocks? Uh, now, as you're turning over to Joshua 2, I'll just give you a little bit of the background of what's going on here. Uh, the Jewish people, God's delivered them out of Egypt. Uh, they came up to the edge of the promised land. They did go in because of unbelief. And so for 40 years, they as a people had been wandering in the desert, eating the manna that he provided, seeing that their clothes and their shoes didn't wear out, and learning the faithfulness of God. And that by the point that the book of Joshua begins, the people of Israel are back at the edge of the promised land again. The old generations passed away, the one that didn't trust God, and the new generation was there, the one that had seen his faithfulness in the desert so many years. And just most recently in their history, uh, they had experienced two great military victories that God had won for them over their enemies, uh, King Sihon and King Og. I always think those would be great names for dogs for some reason. Uh, but basically, things were going really well for the Jewish people. Their time of, of discipline and learning had been finishing up. They were on the edge of the promised land, about to go in. 
and faced their first big battle in the promised land, and they could see that God was working for them. Moses had died, Joshua's in charge, and that's where our story in Joshua 2 picks up. So if you're there in your Bibles, let's read Joshua chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come out to search. They've come to search out all the land. Okay, let's just pause there in our story and, and get a hold of what's going on here. Okay, so Joshua, he sends out two spies to check out this walled city of Jericho. And as they're spying around, they stop and they go to a house of a prostitute, probably because they figure they're not going to catch too many people's attention if they stay on the fringes of society. Maybe in this part of town, people were used to turning a blind eye to the shady dealings of things going on there. And as the expression goes, what happens at Rahab's stays at Rahab's, uh, so to speak. But these spies apparently didn't do a very good job of keeping undercover because someone nearby sees them head over to Rahab and goes and tattles on them and tells the king, hey, you know those Israelites that are kind of hanging over by the, the Jordan River? They send some spies and they're here over at Rahab's. And before you know it, these two spies are caught like rats in a trap. But when you consider things from Rahab's point of view, this has been a very interesting day for her. Maybe it started out as an ordinary day for someone in her line of business, but then two strange men show up at the door and she can see that there's something different about them. She can tell that they want to stay off the radar, so to speak, stay on the down low. But then as she's trying to sort out what's going on with these two strange visitors, again, the king's men at her, at her door saying that those same men need to be found. This is Rahab's watershed moment. What a turn of events. Uh, to borrow the words from uh, Bible commentator John Steck, two kingdoms knocked on her door. One of those kingdoms Rahab knew well. She grew up in it. She lived in it. It offered her a house, a place in that society. It even offered her a wall right there in front of her that she could touch that offered to protect her from anything that would threaten that particular kingdom. The other kingdom seemed a little far away maybe, not yet there on the other side of the river. And that odd kingdom that was knocking on her door in the form of those spies they didn't have a familiar pantheon of gods that she grew up knowing. Instead, they had one God who seemed to have some high standards for his people. What would a God like that think of someone like her? And the people of that place, that kingdom, had no city, no place, or anything tangible she could touch. Two very different kingdoms knocked on her door. And those two kingdoms were on a collision course with one another. The stakes were high for her. The time was short when she had to make a decision and she was going to have to choose. What should you do when opportunity knocks? Let's read from verse 3 again and see what she did. In verse 3 again, it says, The king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who've come to you 
and entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. Verse 4, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I don't know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you'll overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan, as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. This is the twist in Rahab's story. It seems to some maybe that it's almost a foregone conclusion that she should have just turned the spies in, right? She'd have nothing to lose. She wouldn't be considered a traitor by her own people. There's really no risk to her to do that. And she might even have something to gain, maybe financially uh, as a reward from the soldiers, maybe in favor from the king. But surprisingly, Rahab risks her neck to save these spies. And then she gives the king's men this series of lies to send them on a wild goose chase to get them as far away as possible from them. And how do we make sense of this? What made the, d- the difference for Rahab in her decision? Why did she choose the way she did? Well, as we read on, we're going to see why. She's going to tell us her reason. And we learn from her that as we hit our watershed moments, we need to choose the path that honors God. Let's keep reading the story in verse 8 here as Rahab explains her actions to the spies. Verse 8, she says, it says, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. Let's pause there. When Rahab came to her watershed moment, she chose the path that honored the true God. She goes up to the spies, and her entire speech to them is built upon her understanding that Yahweh, their God, is supreme. She says, I know that Yahweh gave you the land. We heard how Yahweh dried up the water, the Red Sea. We saw what you did to those two kings over there across the Jordan, and our hearts melted. Why? Because Yahweh, your God, he is God in heavens above and earth beneath. She says, in essence, hey, I know our kingdoms are going to collide here. And this one that I'm in right, in right now, as tangible as it seems, it's going to be kitty chow before you know it. I get it. Yahweh is supreme, and I want to be a part of that kingdom. When the opportunity comes knocking, Rahab chooses the path that honors God. Now, at this point, she's already 
or the spies are being let down by a rope through the window. And it seems like the writer of the book of Joshua could have just stopped the story at this point, right? But the story goes on. So we, as uh, good students of scripture here, uh, need to take note of that. These are not wasted words that come next. There's still one important facet to the story that the author wants to get across to the people who would have been hearing the story of Rahab for the first time. And that point is this. When we hit these watershed moments in life, uh, we don't just honor God with our words, with lip service, but we need to walk it out. There we go. Specifically, we're talking about obedience here. Let's read the last part of the story, picking up in verse 16. She said to them, Go to the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours you've made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. You shall gather into your house your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who's with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath which you made us swear. She said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went to the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, son of Nun. And they told him all that happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Now this last section is important because it's about obedience. It's about walking out what our words profess. Notice that despite the deal that she had already cut with the two spies, Rahab still had something to do if she was going to enjoy the benefits of being a part of God's kingdom. She'd have to tie this scarlet cord from her window and bring all of her family inside her house. The passage is clear. She did what she had to do. We find out a little bit later in the book of Joshua that her family was saved out of disaster when Jericho fell. Rahab and her family became a part of the nation of Israel. She didn't just give lip service uh, to this God, to the greatness of God, but she put her money where her mouth was and carried out what she needed to do to live. When opportunity came knocking, when her watershed moment came, she chose to honor the path or choose the, the, the uh, path that honored God. And she walked out in obedience what she needed to do. And that's what we need to do too. Now, I want to just quickly bridge this to our own application where this passage meets our lives. And to do that, I just want to zoom back a little bit to see how these points from Rahab's story fit in with the larger context of the book of Joshua. Uh, I used to think uh, the book of Joshua, the storyline running through it was one generation of God's people did everything totally perfectly and they inherited God's promised land as a reward. And I got that wrong. Uh, uh, my reading was wrong. There's a lot more tension and edginess to the book of Joshua than I had first understood years ago. In the book of Joshua, God's people didn't always do things right. <clears throat> In contrast to this pagan prostitute, Rahab, 
who made the right decision to honor God and walk it out. We also get another picture of um, the story of the church boy, Achan, in chapter 7, who blew it. And we're not going to delve into his story in depth. You can read it later if you like. But Achan is the contrast to Rahab. Uh, Rahab, pagan prostitute. Achan grew up among God's people, ate manna, fought in God's armies. And yet because of his decision to neither honor God nor obey him, he lost it out for his whole family. And that's just one place in the book of Joshua. There are other places too where people chose not to honor God or obey him fully. And there's this tension that runs through the whole book and brings us to the very end in chapter 24. And you might remember that Joshua, just before he dies, gives this impassioned speech to all the people. And he says, so what's the deal, people? Are you going to honor God and obey him or not? This is the one where he says, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. But that same question that Joshua asked the Israelites, are we going to honor God and obey him or not, is the same question that God would ask of each of us. And that's where Rahab's story fits in. And that one crazy moment for her, two kingdoms were knocking on her door, and she had to choose between them. And that's the application for each of one of us, I think, that we can find that there's two kingdoms knocking on our door too. Students, those of you who are going back to UAF or maybe just college age, there are two kingdoms are knocking at your door. One kingdom uh, is that of instant gratification. It says, hey, you can sleep around, you can drink it up and get high, and uh, your classmates and your professors will cheer you on for doing it. But there's another kingdom knocking at your door. It's God's kingdom. It's a countercultural kingdom. It's a kingdom you get mocked for. It's a kingdom that doesn't offer much of a quick fix for now, but it does promise things that are important for eternity. Two kingdoms are knocking. Which one are you going to choose? For those of you who are a little bit older, like me, maybe in the middle of life, two kingdoms are knocking at our door too, asking us which one are we going to choose. One kingdom calls for us to give our time and our money and our attention to securing our family's place in this world. It says, live for your career. Polish up the family image. Buy a new toy. And make sure Johnny gets piano lessons. But God's kingdom is calling for those same resources, our time, our money, our attention, saying, carve out some time to get a morning devotional with God. Support a missionary. Make sure that Johnny is not just learning piano, but that he's learning to love and honor God. And then for those of us who are maybe a little bit further on still in our retirement years, I would say two kingdoms are knocking at your door too. One kingdom says, you know what? You worked hard. Time to rest. Time to coast. That's what people do. Other people will understand. But the other kingdom says, eternal things are still at stake here. You've got more to give. Get on your knees and pray. Impart to the next generation something of value. Which kingdom are we going to choose? And then there's one last category of people here, uh, not necessarily age-bound. But some of you might be hearing two kingdoms knocking at your door calling for your allegiance, even though you've only heard one of them ever knocking before. Maybe you can identify with Rahab a little. Everything you've heard up to this point in your life has been the message of live for yourself, make your own meaning, 
make the most of your brief time on this earth because that's all you get before you die. And up to this point, maybe it seemed like you haven't had any other options. But maybe like Rahab, there's an opportunity and you hear the second kingdom knocking. Maybe you started to see the power of God uh, who created the world and everything in it around you. Maybe you've seen your friend or family member who knows this God and you can see something different in his or her life and you want what they have. I would say to you, this is your chance. God gave Rahab a scarlet cord in her window to mark her as a sign that she'd be spared when these two kingdoms collided. And for the Jews of that day, uh, they, God had given them the scarlet blood of the Passover lamb when they were brought out of Egypt. Again, to know that their families would be spared in judgment when they left Egypt. But for those of us in this age, he's given us something much better. He's given us the scarlet blood of Jesus Christ that was shed to pay the penalty for our rebellion against God. As a human race and individually, we've blown it. We've broken the perfect relationship with the creator God by choosing to go our own way. And there's a big price to pay, but we don't have the resources to pay it. We can't fix the problem ourselves. But what God did, or we couldn't do, God did for us. He took on human flesh as Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. He died a shameful death on a cross, and he didn't deserve to die, but he took our place as a representative for us to pay our debt. And he rose again from the debt to show his power over the grave and over sin. And what God is asking us today is that we repent of going our own ways in rebellion against him and trust in the provision that he made through Jesus Christ to pay for our sins. We stop looking at our own spiritual resume and thinking, hey, I can get into heaven on my own. I can be right with God on my own. And instead, we see it for what it is, is utterly bankrupt, and say, God, instead, I want to trust in Jesus' resume and what he's done on my behalf. That's how you answer the door and enter into that kingdom. And then the walking out of the obedience begins. Two kingdoms are knocking. Which choice will we make? Let's choose Rahab's example and choose the path that honors God. And then by God's grace, let's walk it out in obedience. Let's pray. I just want to start out right now as we're uh, coming before God. If you find yourself in that last category and you say, you know what? Uh, I haven't uh, submitted myself to God. I've been walking my own way, but I see that there's two kingdoms on a collision course. And I want out. I want God's kingdom and not my own. I just ask you to to do business right now with God in your heart. Just say to him something in your heart like, God, I know I've been going on my my own way and that's been wrong. I want to turn around and go your way. Please forgive my rebellion. Forgive my sin. Forgive my self-sufficiency. I want to put my trust in your provision through Jesus Christ. And I want you uh, to show me how to live for you. And I ask you this because of your son Jesus, in his name, amen. And for those of us who have already put our trust in Jesus, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you'd put your finger on things in our own heart, on uh, areas of compromise or um, whatever area, Lord, where you would challenge us today and say, who are you going to serve? You got us to be wholehearted. 
not hypocritical, but just wholehearted in serving you and loving you and walking it out. We know that we need your strength to do this, but help us to walk that out, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.